Welcome to Ancient Roots Modern Paths, exploring Orisha and Ifa wisdom. This captivating podcast will take you on a transformative journey where ancient wisdom meets modern practice. I am your host, Ianifa Ekundayo Ekuntonisin. I'm a devoted student of the West African Yoruba spiritual tradition. Join me on a journey that blends ancient wisdom with modern practice. We'll delve into the sacred teachings that have guided generations for millennia. We'll uncover insights and practices to guide and shape your life path. Subscribe now and join our secret community as we unlock and apply the profound wisdom of Orisha and Ifa to everyday living. Ekabo, welcome to the Ancient Roots Modern Past podcast. I'm Ia Ekundayo. I'm very excited to come to you. Uh, this podcast, as I've shared in my earlier episode, is really designed to help you learn, grow, expand, and apply the teachings and wisdom of the Orisha Ifa tradition. This tradition comes from the Yoruba of West Africa. Um, it is thousands of years old. Uh, we just recently celebrated the 10,065th year on the Yoruba calendar. And so, as you can well tell, this tradition has been around, at least in air quotes, modern times for the last 10,000 years. But as you understand the stories and the cosmology of the tradition, you'll understand that it has been in existence and guiding people's lives for thousands and thousands of years, well, be, well, well beyond 10,000 years. And so I'm really excited to, to, to uh, be, a, be a part of this community of learners and seekers. So just first episode, uh, I want to kick off with a little bit about me. In terms of my journey to Arisha and Ifa, um, I think it's important, um, as I've said, my goal is for people to learn, for people to grow, for people to expand, um, and particularly in light of, you know, a lot of contradictory, I shouldn't say just contradictory, there's, because of the evolution of the tradition in the Western Hemisphere, and even the challenges that it has faced in uh, in, in Nigeria, that in the challenges are really the... Um, the impacts of other religious, um, other religions on this traditional uh, path. That because of that, especially in the Western Hemisphere, there's been a lot of, a lot of different kinds of informations. We also have here in the Western Hemisphere, we have different cultural interpretations um, based on how this spiritual tradition came from West Africa to through the Middle Passage with the enslavement of African people and then, you know, deposited in various ports and places here in this hemisphere. Some places, Africans lost all their language, um, but they held on to this spiritual tradition because it was, it was and is extremely powerful. And the, the, the language, the other cultural influences began to sh- sh- shape it differently. And so, again, that has created... Um, you know, if you've been in the community for a while, you'll know that it has created some some dis, dis, disconcerting uh, experiences for some, uh, and then just some confusion for others. Now, all I can say is that uh, in my years since about 1993, I have been on the path and the journey to uh, discover and to really understand and begin to really learn about the Orisha Ifa tradition. So, a little bit about my journey. Uh, in the early 90s, as I was sharing, 
Uh, I was always a, a seeker of all things spirit. Um, I grew up in an environment where I was in, uh, I was amongst uh, native peoples, first peoples, the Dene in particular. And so my spiritual impacts and upbringing were sort of all around me. Um, through the people that I interacted with, and and many of them still had their language, their culture, and their land, uh, and as long as as well as some of their healing practices and healing ways. So I just grew up in that environment. You know, looking back, I wish I would have uh, participated more. But um, but at the time in the uh, early early seventies, I grew up in the environment, and so had those kinds of experiences. Uh, so as I grew into adulthood, I was always searching for, uh, a, a spiritual connection that kept me connected to the earth, that kept me connected to the water, the trees, the plants, the birds, um, that I was always looking for something that was part of that, that all encompassing, um, universe that I walked in. Around the mid-90s, a friend of mine who was Jewish, a dear friend of mine, um, was in Miami and shared with me the Santeria. So she shared with me the Santeria path, which, you know, I started studying and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really, you know, I got a couple of books uh, and started studying the, started studying. And I was completely mesmerized and intrigued by this natural, this earth-based spiritual tradition, you know, where the elements were valued and were also the, the relationship between the human and the elements was very close, uh, as well as sort of mystical, the myst- what I didn't understand then, but, you know, the, the Orisha and the energies. So I was studying away just through books. Um, and then I started, you know, trying to find a community uh, where I could be connected to. And I was on the East Coast at the time. And so I, you know, I found one community and, you know, was kind of exploring that. And this, again, this is like the mid-90s now. Exploring that and, you know, not always feeling very comfortable. Um, There, unfortunately, are situations, I'm going to talk about this in our next episode, episode uh, two. There are situations where, you know, there because it's a spiritual environment, there are are, are situations where people have taken advantage um, of uh, people who are coming to learn. And so I had a couple of experiences where I was like, eh, this doesn't feel right. I'm not feeling comfortable here. So I would, you know, maybe I was there, had a reading, and then kind of the information that was given to me just didn't sit right. It wasn't that I was resistant. It was more the delivery and some of the connotations of, you know, watching the person who was delivering the information. Uh, this is a tradition in which your character is a 100% focus of your development. And I'll talk more about that as we go along. So I cast about, and I remember this one year, I got a fellowship, or yeah, I guess it was a fellowship or scholarship, to go away on a seven-day retreat in Michigan. And so I go on this retreat, uh, I had my own cabin. It was a kind of a group of cabins and I was by myself and I thought that there were going to be other kind of people in this, it was sort of like a spiritual retreat, but it was just a retreat, like a mini sabbatical for a week. And 
when I ended up getting there, uh, it just so happened that no one had booked for the week that I was there. And the person who was kind of caring for the main lodge was also leaving. So I show up and the gentleman's name was John and John got me from the airport and uh, took me, you know, got me settled in my cabin. I bought some groceries. I was all set and I was all excited to have this sort of respite and rejuvenation time and, you know, be able to have, you know, lofty talks with people. And there was no one there. And then John informed me that he was leaving as well. So I was like, oh, wow. So I'm going to be out here for seven days by myself, which doesn't really bother me. Um, I'm an introvert. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be fabulous. I'll be here. I have a silent retreat. Well, that silent retreat was <laughs> was a great theory, but um, I realized that I don't, I need a little bit of stimulation in terms of people talking to me or talking around me. But what I discovered was in that seven days that I was there, they had seven gardens, seven different gardens by seven different faiths. And so one day I remember I was walking along and I was visiting each garden and kind of meditating and reflecting on the, the sayings and just the things that were there. And I remember walking up this, this path and most of the gardens were kind of like out in the open. There were some rocks and trees and you know, it was really beautiful. It was a very serene environment. And this was in uh, like July. So the temperature, this is in Michigan, the temperature was like 70. It was very, very comfortable. And so I remember walking along and I, I, I came around this path and there was like, there was like another, another garden. It was like the last garden. And all it was, was a bunch of beautiful trees and what appeared to be an opening into this, this space in these trees. I mean, they were stunning trees, but they were all kind of close together. And so I walked in, like I can see it right now. I walk in through these trees into this, like this sort of like doorways, natural doorway. I walk in and these amazing trees were soaring up and kind of creating a canopy over and it kind of blocked out the sky. So I walk into a, a very quiet place and on the ground were the pine needles and, and leaves that had fallen. And so it was very kind of dark and warm and comforting. And I walked in and I was looking around trying to figure out what faith tradition was this particular space? Because it very much as I walked in and I began to feel the energy of that place, I was very clear that it was a very special place. And I got to the middle and I literally felt, I don't even, can't even explain it, such a powerful spiritual movement that I dropped to my knees and started to cry. And I sat there for a while and I had some incense with me, I think, and I lit some incense and I just sat there. I did not know what the environment was. And then I came back out of that place and I walked and a couple days later, it was time for me to leave and John came back and I said, hey, John, what's, what's that last garden, the seventh garden? What is that garden? He said, oh, he said, there's this African man here who, um, who created that. And I said, well, what, is, like, what, tra like, what tradition? 
he said, oh, he, he something called Orisha. Some, something he said, it's something called Orisha. And I just looked at John and I paused and I was like, oh my gosh. So I, without knowing it, was most affected by the tradition that I was seeking. And it was all nature. It was all, it was trees. It was, it was all nature. It was also a womb, which is something very important in this tradition. And so that was, I would say, a turning point in my, by that time, probably five to six year journey in search for community. I felt emboldened and also really recognized this is the path that I need to walk. Uh, I went back to uh, where I where I was living on the East Coast and continued to search. Um, then way led on to way, and I met some people here and there, and they directed me to a Lakumi house. We say a Lakumi house that this is the Lakumi um, tradition comes out of Cuba, out of Cuba, some will say, and it is the the. African ancestors, West African ancestors, of which there were many, not just the Yoruba. But the Yoruba had, I believe, a, a way to galvanize all the different ethnic groups that, came, that were enslaved and brought to Cuba in particular, that they were able to start to bring everyone under the Orisha Ifa um, practice and this is a kind of a shorthand. I mean, those folks who study this and are scholars will give much more expanded, but this is my understanding um, and what I've, what I've gleaned over the years. And so out of that bringing together of all these different people, uh, all these different, uh, not just traditions, because the traditions were similar, named differently, but similar practice, but the languages and the customs were somewhat different because you had you had Fulani, you had Mendinka, you had so many different uh, ethnic groups that were captured during the enslavement. Um, but what was powerful was when they got to this side of the world, this is the one thing that they really worked to bring together because it has survived in Cuba for four to 500 years. So it can tell you the, the power that, uh, and in, in the intentionality with which um, ancient ancestors kept it together. Uh, so I end up in this Lukumi house. The Babalao there was trained. He was African-American, but he had been trained in Cuba. And so he had particular ideologies about what his Ile was doing and teaching. And so I was there for a while, and uh, I really just wanted to learn. I wasn't, I'm not a title chaser. I wasn't any of that. I wanted to learn Again, this is by this time. This is the early uh, early two thousands. I wanted to learn in a safe place where I felt valued, honored, respected, and seen, and it provided that for a while. Um, but after a while, I also again started to feel uncomfortable with the tone and timbre of the ile. The teaching was really amazing, um, but the just kind of the dynamics of some of the dynamics just didn't sit well with me. And so I did not become initiated there. I was more a student, just learning. I think I was there maybe a year. I don't recall now. Um, but I learned a lot, and I, it continued to help me really understand the tradition. When I left 
um, that ile. And again, this is a lukumi ile. So the way lukumi approach this tradition, as I understand it, is somewhat different to sometimes being a lot different from how it is it is uh, presented in in Yoruba land in in West Africa. So was there for a while. Uh, then I then I then I left and spent some time. Um, just sort of in an empty space, kind of a journey. Like, you know, when one door closes, you got to walk down the hallway for a while. So I spent a good, a few years, a number of years walking down the hallway. What I did learn when I was with that particular Ile is that I am a child of Obatala. Obatala. Obatala is known as the king of the white cloth. Obatala is also considered to be the oldest of the pantheon of Orisha. And I'll be sharing more about this. But that gave me a little bit of insight into the energies that I that I that I carry, as well as um, how I need to be governing my life. Uh, and so I went from there. I think I ended up uh, up in Boston, found more community. Um, but it frankly was not until 2014. Now, mind you, I started this journey in 1993, 1994. It was not until 2014 when I, um, when really my life took a dramatic shift, a dramatic turn, um, and that dramatic turn had me uh, standing in uh, Abiokuta, Nigeria, um, preparing for my first set of initiations. And I share this journey, one, to just illustrate that the path is often not a straight one. And I've had all kinds of things go on. I've had, you know, um, folks who proclaim themselves to be authorized to do certain things, to do, to, to teach, they were not. Um, I've had miseducation, re-education, um, uh, you know, gaps, again, I will share this because, and I am sharing it because I will never stand and say, I know it all. There are many elders who I have had the benefit of their mentorship, who are on Facebook, who are on Instagram. I've had a lot of mentors, whether they've been directly, I've had direct communication conversation, or um, I've observed them and watched their character, their behavior, what they share. Uh, but I, I share this because this journey is not a straight path. I celebrate anyone who's had a straight path of the journey. That's just not been my experience. But hopefully this gives you a little bit of insight into, uh, into my journey. Uh, I've had uh, and still do have a wonderful connection with the person who initiated me, my Eluo. Uh, who is in uh, Abiokuta, Nigeria, in the Ogun state. And uh, I, I am grateful that he is the kind of human being that is so diligent about the tradition. Uh, and I'm grateful to continue to, to be part of his lineage. So I have been part of the same lineage since 2014, uh, I have and continue to travel to Nigeria often uh, on an annual basis for various ceremonies and uh, continuing to learn uh, as well as learning from other folks. So I do know that 
you know, it is important to continue to always learn uh, from other folks. So again, hopefully this is helpful, gives you a little bit of insight. Um, I'm also in my regular life, I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur. I train and lead leaders uh, and teams. And so I have a, um, I have a unique perspective as, I think it's unique, as, you know, someone who leads businesses, builds businesses, as well as understands and continues to work to apply the teachings and, and the things that I've learned from the Orisha Ifa tradition to my life, to improve my life, to improve my family's life, uh, to improve the people who are in the Ile with me. Uh, Ile Ifa Otu Arire. I continue to um, to work to develop myself through the lens of the Orisha Ifa tradition. So, thank you so much for listening. I'm glad you're here. I hope you find great value from this. As I shared in my uh, previous uh, podcast, this is really a place to learn, grow, and expand your knowledge and understanding of the Ifa Orisha tradition. Um, if you like this, if you're you know curious, you want to continue, please uh, like the podcast so uh, we can continue to be seen by more people as well as subscribe to it. So as new episodes come, you'll be able to get first access to those. So with that, I hope you have had a little bit more insight into me. You'll gain more and learn more as we go along on this journey. But thank you again for being here. And um, I look forward to a continued journey. If you're also interested in learning more about the Ile, you can find it at www.ifadestiny.com. So that's I-F-A-D-E-S-T-I-N-Y.com. And you'll find more information and ways you can get connected to our community. Thank you so much. Odabo. Thank you for joining us on the Ancient Roots Modern Paths Exploring Orisha and Ifa Wisdom Podcast. To learn more about this tradition, join our community at www.ifadestiny.com. Join us to explore and grow together on this spiritual journey. Please subscribe, like, share, and invite others to hear and participate in our podcast as we spread the wisdom of Orisha and Ifa across the globe.